Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The worst mass shooting in the history of the United States. 50 killed and 53 wounded at an Orlando, Florida nightclub. It apparently was also an act of hatred as the club is a popular gathering spot for the LGBT community. And it was a terrorist attack as the shooter, 29-year-old Omar Mateen, an American who was born to Afghan parents in New York, pledged his allegiance to ISIS. As a nation mourns today, we still are learning more. And let that act as a bit of a disclaimer. Information from these events often changes. But we, what we want to do is bring conversation that is local or has a Pennsylvania perspective to the Orlando shooting terrorist attack. Joining us in the first part of today's program is Ted Martin, Executive Director of Equality PA. Uh, Mr. Martin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate being here. And we'd like to hear from you, your thoughts on the Orlando shooting, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I had an opportunity to speak to you fairly early yesterday, and I could just tell when you answered the phone that uh, obviously you were very upset and a, a lot of emotions that uh, were, were going through you. Talk about that time when you learned about this yesterday and the thoughts that you had. I have to say this is, yesterday was probably one of the lowest days, if not the lowest day of my tenure in this job. And it was, and it still reverberates today, like I still feel it today. You know, it is it is raw, it is very emotional, and I think it is uh, uh, something that I've had to think about. And I think, you know, as we learned about yesterday, as I heard about yesterday, I sort of got more quiet as the day went, went on. My husband kept saying, like, are you all right? Are you all right? And I think it just all came in. I think it just all sort of came in. And uh, it was emotionally, I think, uh, painful. I think it was emotionally painful um, to, to really realize. Look, I woke up this morning uh, feeling bad, but certainly there are people that woke up uh, in Florida and, and around the country in far worse circumstances than I have, families and, and loved ones who are emotionally torn by this. And so I, I uh, you know, I'm up and I will survive as many people will, but it is a, it is a very raw moment. The latest I saw is that uh, almost, I think it's all the victims have been identified but one. Uh, all the victims have been identified, but that uh, only half of the victims' families had been uh, contacted so far. That just, I, I just can't imagine that. And that's one of the things that you hear from so many people over the last 24 hours is the pain of not knowing. Sure. If you probably, if you haven't heard by now, unfortunately, those people probably are not going to be getting good news. I think that that is uh, just an overwhelming thing. I mean, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine what what that must be like. I, I have to say, to, to address the issue of the fact that this was a club that the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community went to and frequented, especially in Pride Month uh, in June, you know, it highlights certainly some of the fears that the average LGBT person has the the extra concern that one person has to pay attention to because violence like this is not uncommon uh, in the lives of uh, of LGBT people here in Pennsylvania uh, you know across the country and i think that this just heightens it this will make people more concerned i hope and i think not it will not make people hide or go back but what i fear in so many ways is for young people people you know struggling with with issues around who they are and that is really something that we have to pay attention to um, in so much of this 
but it is common. Unfortunately, this is a, a, a sort of not uncommon feeling for LGBT people to have. Well, let's, let's talk more about that because uh, what's uncommon is, as we said, this is the, the largest mass shooting, largest number of victims in the history of the country. Um, so that part is uncommon. But you don't seem to hear as much about violence directed or hate directed at LGBT uh, community, the community as much anymore. Is it just because it doesn't happen as much or is it just not reported as much? Uh, I think it's probably, you know, people don't report it as much. I mean, I think that, you know, look, the world has changed. People are more accepting. I think people are more willing to to see the LGBT community as part of the fabric of American life. And I think that that's, that's wonderful and healthy and, and growth. But, you know, still people remain... Uh, you know, targets. There are people that are in places too that, if you don't live in perhaps a, a, an area that's accepting, and you report some sort of crime because of who you are, and you may not even be out. I mean, uh, uh, you you run the risk of a lot more harm, and so or potentially a lot more harm. And so I think that people. Uh, do hide. I think that people do hide, and I think that people don't react um, as a, in the way that they should. And by the way, there's no hate crimes protections specific to the LGBT community in Pennsylvania. So even if you did say something, even if you did step forward, you run the risk of of being told, well, you know, here's what we can and cannot do, which is, you know, in a violent situation, is probably pretty pretty awful, uh, also. Our guest during this portion of the program is Ted Martin, executive director of Equality PA. We're talking about uh, the mass shooting, the terrorist attack at uh, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida yesterday. And we'd like to hear from you as well. 1-800-729-7532. You can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a message or a, a comment and question on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number 1-800-729-7532. Five three two, as you said, society for the most part uh, appears. And you can't speak for everyone. This is a blanket statement. Seems to be more accepting. I mean, we had uh, uh, a same-sex marriage ruling, you know, making it illegal by the United States Supreme Court here in Pennsylvania a couple years ago. Uh, that was celebrated, not by everyone, but it was something that just ten or fifteen years ago maybe not have been celebrated. So I wonder how much are attitudes changing. I think attitudes are changing pretty dramatically. I think people are uh, because of, because of those rulings, because more people are out. I think that people just understand the issue differently. They see popular media, they see people they know, they they are asking questions about things that they are now seeing. And and by the way, everyone under 30 has a completely different viewpoint on this in the sense of being much more open and understanding. And so in that way, the world has shifted. In that way, the world has shifted. The one thing I didn't talk about yesterday, you know, and, and, and that happened to me, and, you know, sort of this awful day, and, and as I try to form how to react to all this, you know, the one thing that I keep taking away from all this, uh, or at least formed in my head very much, was that we really need to wonder and we really need to be very much aware of the words we use. Because, you know, how we categorize the people, how we categorize the people that are involved in this situation. Uh, you know, especially if you're in a position of, of people looking up to you or asking questions, you know, if you're running for office or you're debating legislation, for example, these are powerfully 
strong things and 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 people will look to you to say and sort of how to react and so you know it can lead certain bad things being said certain incorrect lies and so forth can lead to violence and that's a really uh, uh, remarkable statement i took from all this i had the good fortune after a sort of a long day yesterday of being invited to speak kind of last minute and and rather unexpected um, at the hadi mosque um, in harrisburg and, you know, I really, I'd never been to a mosque. Um, I, I freely admitted my lack of understanding of Islam and Ramadan and, and and really wasn't sure what to exactly say. I just hoped I could get through the whole experience without crying, quite frankly. And uh, it was met, uh, my remarks were met with uh, grace and uh, goodness and kindness. And I think that it was an especially lifting moment for me. So from going from a very low position in the day to that, I think... Once again, conversation. People wanted conversation. People wanted to talk. People wanted to understand. And I think uh, I didn't certainly pretend to understand everything in that room or understand every point of view in that room or agree with everyone in that room. But it was a moment that I think brought people together. And that's the only thing I can hope from all this. What kind of words? What kind of language? You know, I think when you talk about them and those and you other people, as they say, and you set them aside and you talk about building walls, you talk about, uh, you know, stopping them from moving forward. If you if you talk about those things and then you outright lie, I mean, there's some things that are being said uh, about the LGBT community right now and popular media uh, that are that are wrong. For example, um, fearful. Well, I mean, anything to talk about the bathroom. You know, I don't want to bring that up. I really don't want no, to. No, but it's that. an issue because uh, I, I saw someone on one of the social medias yesterday said, "I don't even want to talk about bathrooms. It's, it's so far. You know, that issue is so down on the list compared to something like this. Okay, maybe in importance, yes, but it's still an issue. It is. Uh, you know, it is being used, in my opinion, as a red herring in so many ways to to really uh, create uh, to other people to really set you in fear to really set you in uh, a, a position where you react negatively. Uh, you know, once again, as I've said many times on this show, uh, you know, Pennsylvania remains the only state where you can still fire someone for being gay uh, or uh, deny them uh, housing. And so, you know, these are the issues. Those are real people's lives. And so I think, yes, you can talk about all of these issues, but fully talk about all these issues. Don't, I think, uh, misrepresent things and don't do that to, to, to get your point across because that leads people to perhaps violence that is all too common. Mm-hmm. This guy, it's been reported, and I have to make this disclaimer because, unfortunately, there have been so many of these mass shootings that uh, there's a rush to judgment, and a lot of times what's reported in the first hours tends to stick when it's not exactly accurate. But it was reported that uh, the, the shooter's father said that uh, he was angered because he saw two men kissing recently in Miami and that these two guys kissing uh, that it happened in front of uh, his his young son and that angered him to no end uh, what do you think about the hearing something like that look I see things we all see things that we may not agree with but I certainly would hope to to, to some something that you wouldn't immediately turn to violence to answer that question. Right. Uh, you know, I think that there are certainly things that you can speak out about. I certainly think there are things you can disagree with and be shocked by, but I don't think you turn to killing 50 people. That's an extreme. Uh, as as the response, regardless of, uh, you know, how you may feel f- f- because of being driven by something else. And I think that that is clearly... Uh, 
the shock of this, I think the the horror of all this, and and so I, I would hope that that would never drive people to to such extremes. Mm-hmm. Let's take a phone call from Brett in Ephrata. Brett, you're on the air. Thank you. Yes. Um. I, uh, what gets me? I've heard some of these um, experts on TV about if you're in a situation like that, about trying to swarm the person. Um, and the AR-15 holds 30 rounds in a large clip, yet, and there are hundreds of people there. He was able to kill over 50, or almost 50, which means he had to reload at some point. Um, and I've been in nightclubs, and so it was pretty crowded. Um, I just wonder why people just didn't step up, uh, you know, protect themselves. I hear... Like I have some gay friends all the whole time. Oh, they're being picked on and all this. Well, you're being picked on. Fight back. You know, protect yourself. I mean, it seems like they were. Everybody was expecting somebody else to do it for them. Um, hey, hey, Brett, thank you very much for your call. Uh, you know, Brett, I we put that on the air because there were so many people who are trying to make sense of this, and that is one of the questions that was asked. I don't think any of us can imagine the horror, the shock. You know, there's actually someone shooting in here and, uh, you know, having to stop and reload. By that point, people were probably on their way out. But I also saw that um, and I just saw a headline on this this morning that there there is a, a gay women's group that advocates for uh, gay people arming themselves. What, what do you think of that? Well, you know, I to the to, to the caller's question, I, I can't. I can't answer. I can't understand being in a situation of violence like that. I, I've never been, and I hope no one listening or the the listener or anyone in uh, the community ever would be. But I would assume that by the time that the that the shooter had time to reload, there were also a good number of people wounded or dead on the floor. And I think that for any person, the natural inclination would be to get out of there. And I think that's what many of them did. And to and to and to, to so there were people that dove on other people. There were people that, you know, helped people. And I think that's the natural inclination that, uh, you know, to, to, to move forward. It was also a highly, you know, it was, a, it was loud. It's a, it's a club. So there was, there was right. a lot know, of music. Was, there was yeah. a lot. And, you know, I think that some people even said it, it, it certainly sounded, sounded like some of the music right. at times. So right. I, I think it's, it wasn't a clear sunny day where this just all happened in plain view. I think it was a situation that uh, can be very confusing. So, uh, uh, you know, at least a ten, initially can be very confusing. I think people reacted the way people react, which is to, which is a wise way is to, is to, is to get out of there and get out as quickly as they could. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about the Orlando terrorist attack. Our guest during this portion of the program is Ted Martin, Executive Director of Equality PA. We welcome your questions and comments. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Questions or comments also can be left on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. You know, social media brings a whole new aspect to incidents like this. Uh, I mean, so many people react afterwards, and a lot of times without the facts, and they bring their own opinions into it. I saw uh, one post this morning from uh, a gentleman who said that, uh, he said, here we are less than 24 hours, and the national media is not covering this as a hate crime as much as they are a terrorist attack. Your thoughts on that? 
I think there's something to be said for that. Um, I believe that uh, the governor of Florida yesterday made a statement where he never mentioned uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people, and you know, never, just never mentioned them at all in his speech. I mean, this is the chief executive of the entire state where the violence occurred. And I think that, yes, I understand that, that this is a terrorist attack, and I understand the, the nature of that, but, what the, but by what his father said and by the virtue of the fact that this person selected a club that was a, a, a gay club and went in and, and began killing people, I think that people, you know, you, you can't ignore that fact. I mean, this person was driven by, uh, uh, had to have been driven by an anti-LGBT uh, hatred and and so you can't you can't separate the two you simply can't separate the two and so you know as i said we would mourn for any violence obviously but this was a planned and determined attack on the lgbt community mm-hmm. um you mentioned that you spoke at a mosque last night i also said saw a post i mean there's post about everything sure. here so if i'm bringing these up that's just things that i've uh, seen people say um, that the people will try to drive a wedge between the LGBT community and Muslims. You spoke at a mosque last night. Uh, you said that it was an experience you didn't know what to I- expect, but talk about that. I mean, were you a little bit leery going into that situation? You know, I got the invitation very quickly, and I said, I'll be there. And, uh, you know, and as I agreed to do it, I thought, what am I going to exactly say, or how am I going to react? And I think, you know, when I got there, I, I wasn't sure if I was, you know, even dressed properly. I have no idea. And so, uh, you know, I, it was in, incredible that the, that the person who had organized it met me in the parking lot and took me in, and, you know, immediately I was surrounded by people who were very gracious and and wanted me to speak and asked me to be comfortable and uh, you know m- made me aware that they wanted to understand that they wanted to talk and so I think that I was put at ease pretty quickly although I was I would say pretty much a bundle of nerves um, <laughs> at that moment and I, don't, I don't freely admit that especially on the radio <laughs> but uh, you know I think to talk um, and just to hold it together throughout the entire conversation uh, was pretty remarkable, you know, I made some remarks, but people were welcoming and people just wanted to understand. They wanted to explain to me how they were thinking and how they were just as wounded by this violence as the LGBT community was, and that was remarkable. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, again, whenever there is an, a terrorist attack like this and uh, there is, uh, um, uh, you know, an extremist, uh, a Muslim, mm-hmm. that... Uh, it always has to be explained that uh, you know the, these people who commit these things do not represent all of Islam. Right. But what did you want to know from them? I mean, was, was the question in your mind? Why do Muslims hate us? No, I don't think that. I don't think that question ever. Re- you know, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have readily accepted, and as quickly as I did, I think if I if I really felt that I would be putting myself in a situation where that there, there was there was hate there, I think you know really what the question in my mind was: um, How do we move forward? How do we make a better sense of this? How do we not end up stigmatizing either group anymore? Or or how do we find some sort of common ground that allows people to understand that? Because one person did this of one faith, it doesn't, you know, categorize everything. I always say, you know, people ask me questions all the time about the LGBT community. These broad brush statements. Right, well, right. I don't like to be broad brushed any more than anyone else does. So why would I do that to one other group? And I would hope everyone would have the same common sense response. Mm-hmm. Did they ask you questions? 
Uh, afterwards, I, I broke fast with them. It was Ramadan, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I was invited to, to, to break fast with them. And, uh, you know, they asked me questions. They asked me questions about the organization and what people were thinking and, uh, you know, how people would react. And I asked them questions about, uh, you know, their views on gay people and, uh, you know, their views on, on working together. And, and it was it was quite eye-opening to me um, in the sense of, you know, what I learned in the conversation. In, in, in what took. way? In what way? Well, I just didn't know. I mean, I freely admit I don't know the the tenets of Islam. I don't really, you know, understand uh, the 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 view of what these you know people hold and and in their hearts. And it was very interesting to me to to learn that. I mean, I, during the service, I have to say, like after I after I spoke, and you know, I was very. It was very tense, and you know, I was I was sitting off um, in in the guest part, and there was uh, the the men were um, worshiping on the uh, the the prayer rug, and there were a couple little boys like rolling around and being just you know kicking each other and fooling around like little boys, and I looked at the president of the mosque and I said. Um, little boys will be little boys and church is church. And he sort of laughed and, and he said, and he kind of said, exactly. And, and you know, at that point, you know, I really realized that these are people struggling with the same issues that I was struggling with. And this is the same type of place. And I could, this would be a church anywhere, to be frank, or a place of worship. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Jim from Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the comments that Donald Trump made right after uh, this horrible event happened. He said that uh, that uh, th- this just proved that he was right to advocate banning all Muslims from uh, from coming into the country, and that uh, what uh, President Obama and other people just have to do is uh, is is call terrorism Islamic terrorism. Now we know that uh, you know. In fact, this guy was. Uh, was an American-born U.S. citizen, and uh, you know, and, and uh, it's it's come out overnight that uh, he had a history of violence, a history of anti-gay uh, comments, and he was apparently allowed to to waltz into a gun store and buy a an assault weapon. You know, I I just uh, maybe I'm getting too political, but but uh, I, you know, people just have to think long and hard before they want a person in the White House who just makes off-the-cuff outrageous statements that have no basis in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for listening All to right. me. Thank you for your call. As you see, Ted, I think we're going to have a lot of people who just want to, um, you know, say what's on their mind afterwards, and that's and that's fine. Um, I also I, I agree with uh, Jim in that I often get nervous about uh, the politicians getting involved soon afterwards. I mean, yeah, people look to their leaders for statements. But as I said earlier, the, the first few hours, you never know uh, what actually happened. And I think to offer condolences and thinking about the victims, thoughts and prayers. I know there were people say yesterday, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. I want something done about the, mm-hmm. this continuing to happen. But uh, that, that part makes me always makes me nervous. Well, once again, I said words matter. This is a this is these are candidates for incredibly high office, the presidency of the United States. If you if you use these words in a way to just sort of separate people out, people will take their cues from you. People will take their cues from you because you are a leader and by definition that's how you lead. And so 
it is a dangerous situation when people talk about this. We're Americans. We're better than this. We have we have wrestled with this for years. We have learned that separating people out, you know, the Japanese internment in World War II is a perfect example. You 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 just it doesn't benefit anyone. I mean, you know, it doesn't benefit anyone. You know, and, and so I think understanding and trying to work better and trying to move us to a different place and calling for hope and leadership is what is what Americans want not not separating and 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 that's just a low way and a cheap way i think to to get people to support you mm. all right let's go to frank from honeybrook frank you're on the air oh good morning scott good morning um glad to hear your show this morning uh and in one way not because i think that some uh criticism has to be given to the media and the way this is covered uh I know way too much about the uh, perpetrator. I don't know enough about the victims. I don't know enough about um, the people that are in the lines uh, giving blood. It just makes me think that we should have a site somewhere where maybe we put information about the perpetrator and, and you know, he was a mental case and he shouldn't be uh, terrorist, or he shouldn't be. He, he should. He, he's a, these these people are idiots. Hey, Frank, and that's being kind. <laughs> hey Frank, thank you very much for your call. I mean, he brings up a point, and I'll and I'm not going to apologize for media coverage of this, um, but I will say that obviously, when 50 people are killed and uh, 53 are wounded, it is a huge news story, um, and. People want to know about it. They have questions about it. Same reason that we're doing this program today. I don't think that uh, uh, ignoring this and not doing uh, the show uh, would make a whole lot of sense when it is what everyone is talking about across the country. But the point that uh, Frank does make is that even the media wonders, how do we cover these things? Mm -hmm. How do we cover these things? Because... Yes, they would mu we'd much rather put attention on the victims. At, in this particular case, we don't know a whole lot about the victims. Uh, talking to a lot of witnesses, um, but eventually that will come. But one of the things you always have to be concerned with, is copycats, is when there is this 24-7 news coverage and you have some other person out there who may maybe has, um, you know, a mental illness or has a hatred toward the LGBT community, you always have to be concerned that they see this and say, oh, look at the attention that this guy is getting. I can get that kind of attention, too. Well, it is a, you know, it is, is distinctly a concern. I mean, yesterday in Pennsylvania, there were two pride festivals, one in Pittsburgh and one in Philadelphia that brings thousands of people out. And those will go on throughout the month. And, uh, you know, this is this is Pride Month. And so I think that, uh, you know, people have to be careful. One of the first things I did was call my staff, you know, my staff who are at these events and, and ask them to be careful. Uh, careful and tender and thoughtful and safe, that they needed to be, you know, make sure they were aware of the situation as well. I hope, I truly hope in my heart, and I think everyone shares that we don't want, we hope there's no copycats. But once again, I think the media has a responsibility as well to take a breath and report this as carefully as they can and not rush to make judgment. And, and look, I think yesterday as I watched the coverage I do have to credit the, the the police and the people that were there because they were very 
very direct and saying, you know, this is all the information we have and we will provide information when we can. And so I think, you know, it is a it is a two way street. And so I understand media needs news to, you know, especially in the 24 hour news cycle. But I think in this situation where where people didn't know what was and still today don't know everyone who was in the in the club have to be sensitive to, to rushing uh, to that judgment. I, I agree with you about the police and the FBI. Um, many times when you see either a small town, and in this case not a small town, police department, and they have a throng of media shouting questions all at once that sometimes they look like deer in headlights, like, you know, we're not used to this, and, you know, mm -hmm. we've seen this kind of thing on TV. Those people yesterday were not intimidated whatsoever, and they were very professional, and you're right, they, they readily admitted when they did not have uh, information they said we don't have it yet and i think that's all people want i mean that's you know they just want the honesty of uh from you know they want elected people to say what was ha what had happened they want the media to say what has happened but i think uh you know we have to be careful because these are people's lives these are people's lives yeah. real people that's right that's what you have to think about these are real people there are 50 families that are grieving much more than the, those of us on the outside looking in. I mean, it hurts for the rest of us, too, but for those 50 families, you know, it's a cliche, but when people say they've lost a son, they've lost a husband, they've lost a daughter, uh, a father, all those things is completely true. And, and, you know, and I think that there are people in there that were uh, at one minute dancing with someone, and today, uh, you know, perhaps... A survivor doesn't know where those people are. Look, I met my husband on the dance floor, and so you know all of those things came came rushing back to me as well. You know, crowded clubs, whether they be gay or straight or whatever. I'm crowded clubs and situations like that. And I, I think there are people that are are could be waking up this morning, and they probably are wondering where that person was, where that person was. I mean, I I, I don't know how you I don't know how you handle that in a in a in a, in a reasonable way mm -hmm. all right let's take another phone call here from dan in chambersburg dan you're on the air hello dan okay i guess he's no longer there uh, one of the things that dan did want to say he said he finds irony in the fact that the right meaning conservatives are so concerned about uh, muslim terror against lgbt but under normal circumstances they don't support lgbt did you see any of that irony yesterday well you know i look i I think people were reacting to a situation, as I said, and I think it was pretty stunning that the governor never mentioned uh, LGBT people um, in his comments. But, you know, I think there are plenty of people. I mean, the attorney general of Florida then turned around and, and did. And so, you know, right after he spoke. So I think there are plenty of people and there are plenty of conversations that regardless of the partisan makeup of all of this, I think will I mean, there, there, there are good people that will talk about what has happened. There are good people that understand this. And, and as I said, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a party line, small p, uh, that was, you know, really delivered yesterday. I don't, I don't believe. Let's go to Gary in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Yeah, my heart is broken. I just, I, I come back to something my dad said probably 50 years ago. He said, you don't beat fear with hate and you don't beat hate with guns. And it just seems like the more we escalate, the more we talk about the violence, it just breeds conditions that allow you know this to, to thrive and it's when you don't come together or you point the fingers or you try to blame this person for that or we could have done this differently or this is not the time for that this is the time to grieve with the families and try to support you know the community and to try to foster discussions to try to understand how this takes place and it's the only way we're going to beat this 
is not by fearing other people or using hate as some kind of a weapon and then trying to eradicate you know the the people that hate other people with guns it just doesn't it just it just escalates and you can just see it's like a toilet flushing it just doesn't stop Thank you very much. Gary, thank you very much for your call. Ted, what do you think? Well, I think it was well said. I mean, I think it was certainly well said by the caller. I, the one thing that I think did strike me about this is that this shooter was able to kill a lot of people very fast. A lot of people very fast. And and I, I, I'm not taking any stand on gun control right now. That's really it's not the It's part of the discussion, though. It is part of the discussion. I, I just think we have to understand how someone could get control or a hold of a weapon of that magnitude to kill so many people so rapidly. That is astonishing to me. And I think it is something that that Americans need to think about of all stripes, really and truly need to think about because, you know, to have a really a combat grade weapon that easily attainable is something I, I can't fathom. Well, I think, well, using your words, that a lot of people are having a hard time fathering, fathoming, fathoming, if I could say the word, um, that this guy had been interviewed by the FBI several right. times, uh, was on a watch list, and was still able to legally purchase firearms. Now, you know, in this country, we, you are innocent until proven guilty, and he wasn't arrested, but still... Um, you know, there are many people saying today that uh, one of the laws that we should have is if you're on a watch list, you can't fly in a plane, you should not be able to buy a firearm as well. I w- w- want to go on um, just a, a couple more questions for you, Ted. Um, we saw a lot of video yesterday on the news of people waiting in line. In fact, I heard NPR report this morning there were some people who waited in line up to six hours to donate blood, that there were so many victims that... Uh, First of all, I just can't imagine what it was like if one hospital or there were a couple other clinics, I think, that they were using, but that they really were in, in need of blood. And so many people, they saw this as their way of, of trying to contribute, was to, to um, contribute blood. Um, for th- those of us who have given blood, we know that there is a checklist. There's a questionnaire. And many of the questions center around whether you have had a same-sex relationship. Mm. And I don't know this for sure. You tell me that gay men were not able to contribute blood in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. I I saw something yesterday that that was waived in this case. Your thoughts on that? You know, that has been a longstanding... I think argument and you know point of conflict in the uh, the LGBT community, especially with gay men, about being able to donate blood. It is uh, you know at a moment at such a critical moment like this when you know blood is necessary and when people are uh, so willing to to be supportive. It, it is astonishing to me that you would turn anyone away. I mean, and but I think the world has gotten to the point, especially with uh, being able to identify people and the and practices that that we are very different than when that blood ban was placed into effect. 40 years ago. And so, you know, I think that once again, there has to be some sense of uh, ability to make sure people can do what they can do. And, and, you know, uh, and the blood ban is um, for a long period of time an offensive thing. I mean, once again, it sets apart a community because of who they are. And so that is equally, uh, you know, that is equally um, bad. And, of course, that came about as a result of uh, AIDS. Um, 
things are so much different than they were 40 years things ago. Things are incredibly different. Um, and, and the knowledge and really the sort of how we um, transmit the disease. And there, there's so many things that have changed um, in that time. It just seems to me that the blood ban uh just hasn't kept up with the times or just really isn't sort of clearly in the in the in the in the 21st century. Mm. Ted Martin, I want to thank you very much for being with us today and uh, being so willing to come on the air and uh, uh, you know I can't, I just can't imagine uh, how you're being torn in so many different directions here the last couple of days but uh, thank you very much for coming on being so gracious. Um, I appreciate this and I appreciate the time and I just ask everyone out there to to talk. I ask everyone out there to be caring. I ask everyone out there to be uh, everything you can to sort of understand each other today and, and, and hopefully for a long time. But this is a this is a raw moment, not only for LGBT people, but for the country. And I think it's time for us to think and it's time for us to take a breath um, and to and to make sure our language is not hurtful and our actions are equally uh, caring. Ted, thank you very much for being with us. You're welcome. Uh, I ask callers to be uh, patient. We'll get you to you in just a few minutes. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. And uh, yes, this was an act of terrorism yesterday at uh, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Uh, and to discuss that aspect of the story is Dr. Michael Kenny. He's an associate professor of international affairs with the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Pittsburgh. And Dr. Kenny, as you are recognizing, if you recognize his name, uh, besides being on our program, also uh, used to teach at uh, Penn State Harrisburg. Dr. Michael Kenny, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. It's good to be with you. All right, let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on what occurred yesterday in Orlando. Well, beyond the obvious of uh, what a tremendous and horrific tragedy this is, um, it, for me, um, at, at the risk of coming across, uh, you know, cliche or blasé about it, I'm, I'm frustrated in the sense that it was nothing new. Okay. This fits um, the strategy that ISIS has been promoting for almost two years now. Um, they have a very sophisticated and aggressive uh, social media and online marketing machine calling for precisely this sort of attack. Uh, although the, an interesting wrinkle with the Orlando attack is that typically ISIS wants its sympathizers to attack because of U.S. and Western foreign policy. Um, so this is different. And I, I think it's an important difference in the sense that we have to be careful in terms of how we characterize this attack. There's a lot of media reporting out there now saying this, is, this was an ISIS sympathizer. That is perhaps true. He certainly does appear to have called 911. But it's also just as plausible at this point that this was an angry, disaffected young man who um, decided to lash out largely for uh, reasons having little to do with a twisted interpretation of the Islamic faith and more to do with his own personal issues. And and that does sound very plausible. I mean, I, I saw an interview with his ex-wife today saying that, uh, you know, they were married for just like four months or something like that, but that he had been violent toward her and that she felt that, uh, uh, you know, that he had some, uh, that he was mentally ill. And that, uh, you know, that sounds like 
kind of, I hate to say the word, typical mass shooting here in this country. But in this case, you had uh, someone who pledged allegiance to ISIS. You know, Dr. Kennedy, we've talked about this before, that uh, this seems to be one of the greatest fears that we do have are those trying to find, uh, fight ISIS and terrorism is that lone wolf, that one who becomes radicalized on their yeah. own rather than traveling to Syria or traveling to Iraq that they go on, read the propaganda, see the videos and decide they're going to strike out on their own. This is a concern. Um, there has been an uptick in sympathizers, uh, ISIS sympathizers who have been arrested over the last 18 months, uh, two years. Um, you know, after 9-11, for, for 10 years after, after 9-11, only about 209 Americans um, were arrested for uh, participating or plotting uh, so-called Islamist terrorist plots or, or trying to travel overseas. Um, after March of 2014, that number increased to 71. Um, just since March 2014. So there has been an uptick, some people would say a surge, uh, and it does appear to be related to, um, to ISIS and the call that it has put out, which unfortunately a small number of people, I do want to stress we're talking about a small number of people, um, find attractive. But unfortunately, when you have access to the sort of weaponry that you can get in the United States, um, one or two people can cause a tremendous amount of damage in a very short period of time. You know, I'm going to ask you uh, the broad question that uh, everyone is asking, but I don't know whether asking whether there's an answer is a legitimate question or not, but what can be done? I mean, I, I heard people talking yesterday about is there a way to block access to some of those websites, some of the propaganda that ISIS puts out, but what can be done? We can't. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. We have been more aggressive, um, we being the United States government, our allies in this effort. We have been more aggressive online and going out after these websites, even going after social media accounts. There has been uh, increased efforts o over the last few months. So I, I do want to give um, just acknowledge that point. It's not like we're not doing anything. Uh, unfortunately, um, the message was already out there. I mean, the mess and it still continues to diffuse through enough channels because the thing about the, the Internet is, as everyone knows, it is incredibly malleable and adaptive. You shut down one website, you create another. You shut down one social media account, you create five others. It's, it's very quick very fluid and so from a law enforcement um, perspective that's very hard to counter on top of that let's not forget the critical first amendment issues and the difference between radicalization and thought and radicalization and action the former um, for better or worse is protected under the constitution obviously the latter radicalization is not um, but when people you know express certain thoughts, they cannot necessarily be arrested just for that. And I'm not suggesting that they should be. This is one of the, the core foundational freedoms that make us the country that we are, and we don't want to sacrifice that.
We're talking with Dr. Michael Kenny, who is Associate Professor of International Affairs, the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Pittsburgh. We're going to try to get as many calls in as we can. Let's go to John, who is uh, calling from his car. John, I hope you're still there. I am. Okay. What's on your mind? Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Kenny, I, uh, maybe if, if you could... Uh, uh, leading to the Association of Islam and, and essentially what has happened. I've, I've been hearing from the media essentially it's a, it's a, it's a homophobic issue, it's a, a homosexual issue that individuals have with that gay community there that, that caused this. And uh, with the issue of, of Islam and what it stands for, uh, certainly there is a hatred for anything non-Islam, and including in that is, is homosexual activity as well as Christian Jews, anything that is not uh, considered as Islam or Muslim. Uh, and that there is, as far as the jihad, there are certainly those who are radical and, and, and invoke the, the terroristic element of Islam, but there are all those, also those that uh, are not the, the terrorists. They're the propagandists, the, the, the trainers, the individuals who... Uh, teach and train to accept Islam as being a peaceful religion, uh, and really the religion is from everything that I've seen, learned, read, uh, and witnessed as we witness it today in our communities, see, seeing what's happening, is that it's it's the, the religion really is a is a is a is a is a catalyst for the Islam to promote its political agenda, which is really to. Uh, to, to fight anything that is not Muslim or Islam. John, thank you very much for your call. Dr. Kenny? Well, um, respectfully, I would, I would hesitate to paint the religion of Islam with such broad strokes. Okay, I've studied the religion over the last, uh, for a number of years now, um, and one thing that I've come to appreciate in my own work is the the number of different variants of Islam, just like any of the major <clears throat> religions out there in the world today, there is no one Islam. There are many different interpretations, from moderate or sometimes called mainstream, all the way out to the more extremist interpretations. So if this guy was motivated by Salafi jihadism, which is entirely possible, we should remember that Salafi jihadism is, 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 an, is an extreme interpretation of the Islam that's based on a certain set of beliefs that actually most Muslims do not subscribe to. Okay, um, it's a very Salafi jihadism is, is a very literalist interpretation of Scripture. So yes, there are so-called hadiths you know, stories about what the Prophet Muhammad supposedly said and did that Salafi jihadis go back to, and they say, aha, this is the basis for our scriptural uh, interpretation. It is justified for us to throw homosexuals off the top of buildings because of this hadith which says, you know, X, Y, Z. But most Muslims living today understand that that hadith is not, is not timeless to be applied across all space and time without considering local and historical context. 
most mainstream folks understand that all Scripture has to be understood in its proper time and place. And that's why I think we have to be careful by saying, well, Islam is this or Islam is that. Let's take another phone call from Bill in Lancaster. Bill, you're on the air. Uh, yes, Scott. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, uh, I, I love both your guests. I don't think your question uh, with respect to uh, why Muslims hate us is, is really on point. I, I really, all the, um, many of the mass shootings since Charles Whitman in Texas, uh, another uh, mass shooting in Texas, one in California, Virginia Tech, uh, Aurora, Colorado, uh, they're, they're all homegrown and non-Muslim. The other thing I wanted to encourage you to do as a public service is uh, if we can register and license our automobiles for public health and safety, we ought to be able to register and license our guns that would not preclude any sportsman from having a gun or anyone from having a gun uh, uh, to defend their home. But if we can do those, uh, we can register autos for public health and safety reasons, we can do the same with guns. And he would have never gotten the two weapons he bought last week and been able to do what he did. Thank you very much for your call. And, uh, yes, we hope to do that. I don't think I did ask why they hate us. I meant uh, I was talking with uh, Ted Martin about uh, the LGBT community and that there are some Muslims. But, Dr. Kenny, one of the, you know, something that Bill just brought up there, you know, he actually okay. brought up several things. But one of the, the, the parts of this story that uh, he brought up is that uh, the suspect here uh, was able to purchased firearms, even though the FBI had investigated him for his speech uh, and um, had, you know, interviewed him several times. And, you know, I don't know whether you want to uh, comment on the the aspect of gun control or what should happen. But, you know, a lot of people are making that connection today that you look at this, that you're not allowed to get on an airplane, but yet you can legally buy a firearm, firearm doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I I'm not an expert on gun control, and and I know this is a very you know charged topic for many. Um, yes, there's been a lot of mass shootings in the United States. Some of them been carried out by people that say they follow a certain interpretation of of Islam, and others carried out by people that that follow a whole other set of of beliefs. Um, I would expect that we are going to continue to see more mass shootings of carried out by all sorts of perpetrators um, just because of the availability issue um, and the fact that people can get access to to these guns so I, I don't you know as horrific as yesterday was I don't think we we've seen the last of it and if we as a country decide okay this this is what we this is the society we want to have where people can purchase access, get access to these weapons this way, then we have to be ready to to face the consequences of these decisions. Mm. Uh, Dr. Michael Kenny, I want to thank you very much for being with us today on such short notice. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds, but uh, what can we learn from this latest issue, this latest incident? I think that um, if this event was truly ISIS-inspired, we have to be ready uh, to continue to build community resilience, okay? You know, carry on with your lives. You know, the sky's not falling. Yes, this is a tragedy. 
we can't let the bad guys win. You know, there are certain beliefs and values that, that make us who we are. I don't think that we should sacrifice them. Otherwise, we hand the terrorist perpetrators a victory, and I, I think we're better than that. Dr. Michael Kenny, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Scott. And thank you for initiating the conversation. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be talking about changing changes in liquor laws. That's on tomorrow's Smart Talk.